Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organization. Today, we're welcoming Patrick Deneen to the show. In his current role, Patrick serves as the Chief Information Officer at Nielsen. He's responsible for driving customer-focused transformation of enterprise IT. Prior to his role as CIO, Patrick held various leadership positions at Nielsen, including SVP of Acquisitions, Technology Strategy and Delivery, and Product Leadership. Also prior to joining Nielsen, Patrick held leadership positions at CSG, Equifax, USA Data, Claritas, and Hart Hanks. Patrick holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from Columbia University in New York, and an MBA in Finance from the NYU Stern School of Business. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Great to be here. Great to be here. If you don't mind, can we start by having you share with our listeners a little bit more about your role at Nielsen? Would love to. As a corporate CIO, I'm responsible for our enterprise platforms. I'm also responsible for our real estate, our procurement, and our workplace technology. The way I think about it, is I'm responsible for our SGNA costs. And I partner with our CTO and his teams that are focused on cost of goods sold, products that we, we build for our clients. And that's sort of a nice financially orchestrated way of looking at the CIO role and where I really need to focus my attention, which is making us a faster, better, less expensive organization to operate and deliver to our clients and make it a great place to work for our associates as well. Very interesting. I know in our previous conversation there, one of the more interesting things about your background is you refer to yourself as the accidental CIO. Would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I don't use that as much these days because I don't want people to think that. (laughs) But I got to this role in a very different path, on a very different path than most folks get to the CIO chair. As you noted, most of my background has been on the front lines, driving revenue, leading product technology or acquisition work. And uh, that's not a typical path for a traditional CIO. But Nielsen is going through a tremendous transformational period. Three years ago, we embarked on a strategic review to understand how we should be organized and if we should be divesting parts of our business or reorganizing ourselves. And just as that strategic review was commencing, our CIO at the time left the company. And I wasn't even thinking about the role, to be honest. I very much was focused on preparing ourselves for that strategic review process and analyzing our various acquisitions and how we integrated them. When our CFO at the time called me up in the morning, 7.31 morning saying, starting today, you are CIO. You don't have a choice. You may not even like the job, but you need to do this for the next year. And you're the right person for the job because of your background from a financial perspective, because of your background, understanding our acquisitions and uh, the divestiture process. And that's where we really need expertise in the role at Nielsen. 
And so that's why I refer to myself as, as the accidental CIO, because I even remember saying to the man, are you sure you got the right Patrick here? Uh, are you sure you got the you're calling? And, and he said, no, I, I very much know that I'm calling the right person. And uh, so I very much grew into this job and learned a lot about what CIOs worry about every day. Uh, and it is a fascinating seat to drive transformational thinking. And, and that's what I enjoy most about it. I think that's what's really interesting about your story is that I think to your point of like most path to CIO is a little bit more operational, sometimes maybe too much on the cost takeout. It's, it's viewed as a cost center, not a transformation center and not like a growth transformation center, but a transformation center of, of cost reduction or operational improvement. So what is the most important thing you've learned in the last six months? Building relationships across the walls of the organization is the biggest investment you can make as CIO in being successful. What I find is that there is so much opportunity to transform and improve by helping folks get past the walls that exist between organizations within a company, whether it be commercial, whether it be product, whether it be finance or HR. There's often blinders on in organizations to get their jobs done, to get their objectives met. And what we all need to realize is that companies work better when they work together, when commercial and product and finance and enterprise platforms all work to create a digital thread from the beginning of the organization to the back of the organization. And very often that becomes the precipitating thought process for transformation. Mm. And you get there by creating trust across the organization, over the walls of the organization. So people will be willing to give in a little bit on their own objectives for the larger good. I'm also curious, Patrick, how are you helping them understand or educate them rather on how these different transformations or innovation that your team is doing is going to help them specifically in their roles? The best tool that I have is outside in thinking, talking to other CIOs, talking to other clients, finding sources of information about what great companies do, and then comparing it and benchmarking the way we do things to that. And that often becomes very compelling for folks that are heads down trying to get big work and big tasks done when they start to see that other companies have similar challenges and they've been able to solve them in unique ways. That often is a great icebreaker to get folks to trust in change and trust in transformation. I would guess too that you're probably creating these mini evangelists, right? Once you're helping these folks throughout the organization, that's probably just going to trickle down and resonate with so many others. 100%. When you create a win for one colleague, then that colleague goes to bat for you to get a transformational discussion or dialogue or trade-off with another colleague. And that's absolutely the way I looked to build around my success in this role at Nielsen, leveraging my colleagues that I had built good relationships, win-win outcomes with, that knew that I was looking more broadly in the organization and not just for the good of the CIO and the CIO area. I often think about the CIO role. I know, Patrick, you mentioned before as a 
reduction organization. And I always believe a leader needs to find a way to, in essence, eliminate their own role, eliminate the need for the complexity management that often makes organizations difficult. So I, I constantly look at myself in a and my organization as uh, how do we find a way to make our work automated so we can do better stuff and we can create career paths for people into other parts of the organization rather than building more cost in the center, more complexity, more things that only we can be the heroes to fix. <laughs> so I look to actually devolve the organization in a certain way. And that very often causes a lot of angst, even in my own crew because that's a very different way of thinking about things. But in obsoleting your own role, you, in a way, create a bigger role for yourself and a bigger opportunity for you to challenge the organization in other ways. I hear you 100%. And the, I like to say, get unstuck in your role, right? The roles, it's, is this something for me or is this, right? When we talk about great teams, it's always that next person up mentality of like, are we preparing the next group to take my role and thereby not making me irrelevant, but opening me up to be more strategically aligned? Like, can I be pulling more down from the CEO? Can I be helping out my peers and building that credibility, building that bank of goodwill so that when I need a favor, somebody can't wait to do it because it's like, oh, passed on so much for me. I've been asking, what can I do to repay it, Right. What's interesting is, you know, dealing with architecture, dealing with people at that level, even when you talk to like frontline workers and you, you explain to them like, look, we're, we're liberating you from the toil is really what we're trying to do so that you're doing more valuable, more strategic work at every level. And it really doesn't matter which level you have that conversation at. There's something human that scares us about we won't have purpose, right? It's not just at the phone desk level. It's not just at the, the IT or the engineering VPs, C-level folks, the first thought is, oh my God, what value do I provide for this? And I think there's a reptilian brain thing going on there of like, I don't, I don't know my place in the tribe right now. And it's very off-putting. But to your point of like, if you can set that vision of like, hey, you're not being excommunicated, you're being elevated, right? And, and I think that's a tremendous strategic position that I think real leaders are doing as opposed to the, how do we push this down just to the lowest cost provider? It's how do we simplify it so that nobody has to do the toil anymore? And I think it's historically, and again, I'm not trying to say anything negative about the CIO role. I think it's just, you know, if you think about the history of like from 2000 to like 2010, there was so much a demand from the CEO of cost reduction in that area. So those are the people that historically were promoted to those spaces and, and there's places for those folks. But to your point, and this is an interesting question because I've had a little bit of a mind shift recently of like, we clearly have a shrinking country. We have a shrinking group of people. It's like It's not coming back, right? Like we're not replacing ourselves. And as we all saw during the pandemic, we've reached out into every viable country locale in the globe to find talent right like which is a super i think healthy and an incredible moment in time for humanity to like spread the wealth so globally right but at the same point in time they're not growing i've had a bit of a mind shift of like the criticality of our engagement with our employees and the things that like normally you might lean toward disabusing 
are going to actually be the most critical elements of success, thriving, and like creating that internal experience is going to be, if not more, as important as the experience you're creating for your customers. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, wow, there's so much wonderful stuff that you just talked through. I jotted a few things down while you're talking. Uh, the tyranny of growth is is one thing that was in my mind in that companies don't get valued in a way they want to be valued unless they're continuously growing. And growth, it means two things. You're either selling more or you're costing less. Only two ways to get there. And the cost side of it is limited. So that is a constant challenge for every business on earth. And that's daunting. It does create a difficult situation that employees are often on the wrong end of the stick in many situations. Yet, a lot of what you were talking about and what we were talking about earlier is asking our employees to be fearless and to trust and to not worry about what's going to happen to them personally, but striving for solving bigger problems. The way I always think about it. as I talk to my, my kids and who are all embarked in the early days of their professional careers and also mentoring folks when they ask about how do I get to a bigger role? How do I get more responsibilities? How do I become a manager or a leader? I break it down to solve bigger problems. Don't necessarily worry about the size of the team or the size of your budget, but solve bigger problems. Hmm. And bigger problems can be in many dimensions. It could be as perceived by your CEO or your CFO or your board of directors or your teammates. But if you're constantly looking to get yourself in a position to solve bigger problems, everything else will take care of itself. It's sort of a simple razor that I've been thinking about even in my own life. As I've solved bigger problems, I've been given more opportunity to solve bigger problems. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Wow, that is great stuff. Well, and I think the uh, the solving bigger problems, right? Like uh, thinking downfield, right? Thinking about the bigger picture, right? Don't get caught in the daily grind of what's not possible or what's not perfect. And running a couple businesses, it is easy to fall into that trap of like, oh, we got to tweak this, we got to fix that, we got to do this. But, and I think some people are just naturally more inclined to think and live in the future. Not that other people can't learn how, right? They can. You know, I don't I don't ever put people in boxes of like, oh, this is just what you can do because we really have no idea what people can do because it's really based upon the things that they've been exposed to is the limit of of like what they know that they could do. So but that idea of like, you know, looking at the bigger picture, getting bigger gains, right? That is that is tremendous stuff. Cause I think so many people do get caught up in the griping of the today, right? Like, uh, you know, I wish this was better. I wish that was better. It's like, you know, things are, things are pretty good. And maybe we should be thinking about not the table scraps, but like an entirely different meal. I was going to say, just to throw a, a monkey wrench in here, we had the honor of having Nick Saban, the coach for Alabama, speak at our conference yesterday, our company conference. And it was so interesting. And he gave me such a different perspective on how we think about the day-to-day versus the end game. And, and basically he was saying a great mentor of him told him, don't think about winning the game, winning the championship, winning this. It's every moment is a story, has a beginning and an end. And so he really encourages his players to think about 
every single play versus, oh my gosh, the score is, you know, X versus X and we have to win this game to win the championship. So it just completely changed my perspective and I'm still kind of digesting it, but it was really, really interesting. And, you know, he has such a great respect for his team and he expects that out of his team as well. And even in taking their hats off when they're walking through their stadium or tucking the back of their jersey in it's all about respect he's like of course the old saying there's no i in team he's like but there is an i in win and everybody has to show up every day with the same purpose and the same values and respecting you know the rest of the team and the organization for us you know to get that win so anyway i just want to put that out there because yes we should always be forward and future thinking but for me i just now need to think about you know, every moment is a story and, and just looking at the, the day-to-day in a different way. Yeah, and not giving them up. I was, uh, I was just talking to my wife the other day and we were talking about what do we both want from the, the next uh, couple of decades of our career. And uh, I hope to work for maybe another, I don't know, 20 years, 10 years, who knows? 10 years anyway, let's just say 10. But, you know, if you're earlier in your career, you might say you want to work 20. You might want to work 30. Well, if it's 10 years, you have 50 weeks a year and uh, you could do the math. That's, you know, a thousand weeks. And that's not enough to just casually throw one away. Every week means something. And, you know, are you are you getting yourself into a situation where you can solve a bigger problem? Are you making a difference for your team? Are you making somebody's life better in that week? I, I just, it, it was a moment of like, I don't want to get, I don't want to, it was like a Sunday thinking about Monday thing. Too often you're sitting there Sunday afternoon, you hear people feeling anxious about Mondays and well, you should actually look forward to it, find a way. And if you're not looking forward to it, you got to ask yourself why, because you, you don't have that many Mondays to give any, any of them away. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I, how many to to want to hoard Mondays, right? Where it's like most people are like, uh, I hate Monday. Yeah, well, I just, uh, think about how self, you know, like uh, you got to ask yourself why. How do you change your circumstance so that's not the case? Now, one could say by well, taking Mondays off. Maybe that's uh, another way. <laughs> there. But uh, you, you know, you you we we only have so many trips around the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Don't waste them. And to the point, Patrick, you made earlier about thinking about growth and success in business differently as growth becomes harder and harder and harder. It's, uh, can you go and make your team, somebody on your team's life better? Can you lean in with one of your struggling colleagues so that they have a better week? Is that a great outcome? Is that a way of saying, okay, that was a good week. We added something to this planet as a result of the week. There's a lot of opportunities for leaders to do that. And uh, I love this conversation because it reinforces not taking any of that for granted. What I want everybody to listen to and take out of this conversation is uh, we're talking to a CIO about how to create a vision of future, but it's the constant theme is relationships, right? So, and I think that's a really important takeaway for, for anybody, especially if you come from a technical side of things, Having the right answer is, is great. Having strong relationships is way more valuable, right? And I think that's, that's one of the challenges I think I had as an engineer growing up and, and understanding that like having the right logic or the right process or the right you know, answer, X equals four, uh, it's good. 
if nobody is going to work with you on that, uh, it's not very valuable, right? And so spending a lot of time with your team, with your peers, with your boss, figuring out what your boss's goals are, figuring out like, what are they trying to get accomplished? How do you, how do you align around that? How do you start taking things away from them? And then offering things to other people that are going to enhance their career, right? That's, that's really awesome stuff that I think is a sign of a, of a real leader. And everybody always thinks that they're going to wait until they're in the position to have authority or something and not realizing that they'll never get there until they start doing this first. And then authority comes, right? You, you can have authority and not be a leader, right? Yeah. 100%. You can be a leader without authority. Authority is almost, uh, is exactly what you don't want. You want influence. Influence. Absolutely. Have you ever read that book influence, uh, by, uh, I forget this, the professor's name, uh, but it, great book. Uh, it talks about reciprocity. You mentioned gift giving and, and like building a relationship and, so many people think influence is like this dirty word and because bad actors leverage these things in bad ways and the good actors, I think, unfortunately, don't use these tools. They don't use this language that humans understand inherently, right? What has made us the apex predator, right? And, you know, why our communities, like, think about, you know, human beings have, right, as we all know, very limited, like, weapons and defense. How did we defeat cyber, you know? the saber tooth tiger, right? How do we, how do we, <laughs> we don't really have a whole lot going on, right? So what Patrick, what probably happened is a few people didn't win those initial battles with the saber tooth <laughs> right. tigers and others watched from the bushes and said, all right, that didn't work. Right. Uh, and so we got to try something else. And so learning is a big part of this too, being open to learning. Yeah. We're big in talking about growth mindset at Nielsen and uh, being learn-it-alls and not know-it-alls. And I think that goes a long way towards what you're saying too, that people are willing to give you a chance if they realize you're, you're learning and you want to learn and you're open to learn and you do learn. And you have the humility to say, hey, I don't know if I'm right. This is what I'm thinking. But I really, and I think this is the most important thing that a leader can say, I need your help. Yeah. You have to be vulnerable to gain trust. And and Patrick, you talked a lot about trust earlier, and I don't think you can have any relationship without that. Not a meaningful one, right? Not a, not one. It's like rattling off some of my favorite books where you get into the book mindset by Dwork is an awesome book, right? It talks about the growth mindset and, and I don't think it's as binary as she might think it is. I think we're, we have, an open mindset in, in different arenas and maybe a closed mindset in others just based upon like humans aren't that simple. But also uh, the, the Speed of Trust is another great book by Covey that talks about, you know, business and, and relationships and how do you create more value for yourself? And, you know, a lot of that comes down to when you trust people, you can get more done, right? If you got to sign contracts to do everything or agreements and we got dot lines and, you know, first of all, they never work. And uh, second of all, it's just a waste of time. So it's, uh, it's really building trust with everybody, clients, customers, internal folks, peers, everybody. It's, if you're going to try and get anything accomplished, it's really the most important place to invest. But so many people, to your point, Pat, they, it's not natural. We've all worked in different organizations where it's not only not encouraged, you're punished for it where, yeah. you know, I worked at a large telecommunications company where... My boss made it pretty clear that uh, 
anything I do wrong, I'll be blamed for. And anything I do right, he's going to tell his boss about and take credit for. Right. And that was not uncommon. And so it, it's interesting because when we try to bring people into our own teams and they've come from these backgrounds, you, you have to like teach them to unlearn those things of like, you can put the guns down, you can take the suit or armor off, you're safe here. And, and uh, we had a CIO on just a couple of weeks ago where he talked about coming with your authentic self and you've got to lead that, right? You've got to set that expectation out there and, and be brave. And, and, and that's where I, I struggle sometimes. Like when you're at the sea level, you can have those types of impacts. Is that something you think like you did before you had the authority that like you were able to do that? What's your experience with that? I was just thinking about this recently too. And I'll, I'll preface my answer with, with this notion. I always look to take the blame. If I am not taking the blame, I am not doing my job. So I actually look for it and show my own team that I'm not afraid of it. I actually want it. If I'm not to blame for something, that means I'm not trying stuff. I'm not moving. I'm not learning if I'm not taking the blame. Now, I'm not saying I'm taking the blame for crimes or immoral activity. What I'm saying is don't be afraid to say, you know what? I have to admit that I drove this process that created this outcome. And here's what I did, and here's what I'm learning from it, and this is what we're going to do to take corrective action to move it in the right direction. Win. That's a win. And uh, I, I always have taken that. No, I shouldn't say I always did that. I didn't know how important that was at earlier stages of my career. And when you are afraid of taking the blame, then you are going to take action to try to avoid it either by creating data that suggests you're not to blame or, or creating an argument uh, that suggests that you weren't responsible. And, uh, and maybe that's just it. Like, if you're not responsible, why weren't you? Mm -hmm. We talk also a good bit about owner's mindset. When you're an owner of something, the buck stops with you. Whether you knew that the kids were eating all the bagels in the back of the store or not, if you're the bagel store owner, you're, you're responsible. Like, and having that sort of owner's mindset that I realize now that there was things that we could have done differently and I'm going to take responsibility for it is very freeing for your people when they see you do that. And then you're not at all worried about it. And a lot of it is because I think I've got wonderful bosses that, that enable me to have that. If I'm going to be honest, I'm going to get complete coverage for for learning on the job so to speak but i don't think i was smart enough when i was young in, in my career to know how to do that my instinct was to try to play politics and create dialogues that were beneficial and i wish i didn't do that i wish i i, I would have done better earlier in my career if i was a little bit more fearless about blame and taking it and seeking it yeah, I think uh, I had a conversation with my son the other day and I said, hey, uh, you know, he was going to Purdue for a trip. And I said, oh, well, when he came back, I said, hey, any cute girls there? And he's like, dad, I have a girlfriend. I'm like, OK, just asked a question. And he's like, uh, yeah, like, why are you encouraging me to cheat? I'm like, nobody said that. Right. I yeah. just asked. Right. And I said, but if you were going to cheat, you know, as a 17, 18 year old, that's kind of the time to do it. 
right? Because yeah. like yeah. to your point of your experiences, like you're looking back on it and you're like, oh my God, but because you did it, because you know how that felt, you knew what it turned into. Those are the important lessons that like clarify down the road. Like, I don't want to live with that again, right? I don't want to do that, right? So it's like, it's really, I think you're like, let's get those mistakes out fast, right? Yeah. Like yeah. when you're younger and it's not impactful in a negative way long-term, but uh, it, it, the other part that, uh, you know, I use the term, where my fingerprints are on something. So if something goes wrong, I'll say, well, I can see that my fingerprints are on this because of, right. What did I do that had, right. Whether it's, I didn't give enough clarity. I wasn't right. There wasn't enough time to train. I, I set an expectation. That's not really fair. All of that stuff. But I think that's really important stuff, especially if you're going to ask people from an innovation standpoint to try new things, right. To be open to it. You've got to, you've got to let them know that like, Hey, I'm asking you to do this. And I'm not sure it's going to work, right? I, I, I'm sure some of it, like I was coaching an entrepreneur earlier today and, and he's, you know, he's like, well, you know, if the project goes well, I'm like, how many times has any project gone without an error? Because uh, I've never had it happen, right? There's always a mistake. If we're not, if there's not a mistake in an IT project or software project, we're not moving fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we're not building bridges. We don't build planes. We're not doing heart surgery. Right. So we need to move faster and we're going to have some lessons to learn. Right. And that's it. You got to celebrate those things, too, that it's uh, those are good outcomes to get to uh, an old sugar moment. Sooner the project <laughs> is a good thing and avoid the uh, the green status when it's really uh, we, we call it watermelon statuses where it's green status. Everything's great, but it's really red in the inside uh, and you're covering it up and uh or you're trying to put off the bad news. You know, we, we talk also a lot about ground truth and those that have ground truth also and are not afraid to communicate that ground truth. That's a lot of power in that too. A lot of power in that. A lot of freedom that help people in their careers. If you're the one that consistently brings the ground truth, you're well-regarded. Awesome. I want to uh, close with one last question. What is the, the, the number one focus on innovation this year for you? The number one challenge is to get people to buy into change hmm. and not deny it or fight it and realize that change doesn't come easy and it may even be painful at first. We like to think as technologists that we have a go live date, we throw a switch, system goes up, it works, and ROI just flows into the cash register. But it doesn't until leaders decide that they will change the way they operate so as to either reduce costs or, or improve flow through or, or speed of operation or whatever it might be that you're, you're after. And I've been saying this a lot, and I've been getting a lot of fights with some of my colleagues, whereby I say that technology doesn't deliver value, leaders do. Mm. And leaders need to buy into the technology and get their hands dirty. And that's hard. That's harder than delivering the technology. And uh, you always hear, oh, it's the change management that will kill you. It's true. <laughs> and uh, that's the hardest thing. We're, we're, uh, neck deep in a, in a major SAP uh, S4 HANA um, ERP re-implementation at Nielsen. 
and getting everybody to buy into change is not easy. And that will be the biggest challenge for us in the next year. That's awesome. I think, uh, I think everybody's going to have that challenge in the next year. I think there's where I'll need to buckle in and get ready because I think the, the roller coaster is moving in a way many of us, I think we're on the precipice of an entirely different type of shift of, of how business is done. There's just so much that's going to change so quickly in the next two to three years that uh, I think it's going to be very, uh, put a lot of people off kilter. But as a good friend of mine would say, there's, there's always winners and losers in all of these scenarios. And so to your point of like, how do you create the environment that you can pivot even more often, see the challenge and the opportunity and figure out that they are the same thing. And then how do I make value out of that? Amen. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, Pat, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, love your, your perspective. I think uh, Nielsen's uh, blessed to have somebody with such a strategic vision uh, sitting in that CIO spot during this um, really critical period of, of their history. So congratulations. We wish you nothing but the best in, in your endeavors. And uh, hopefully you'll come back on the show maybe next year and tell us how things are going. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. You guys uh, are easy to wrap with. And and we got into some really nice philosophical leadership stuff, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. So thank you very much. Awesome. Awesome. We also want to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.